This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. So welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. And if you're listening in order, then you'll know that we are now in the fertility clinic. If you've just joined us, what I would say, if you are at the stage of having to have fertility treatment, you might want to go back a few episodes. Um, If you are literally at this stage in time, then I'm hoping where we're going to be at today is, is really useful because we're talking about the drugs teach. Now, this is something that causes all sorts of stress if you are needle phobic. And that's why we wanted to have a good chat about it, because for a lot of people, it, it causes quite a lot of anxiety, doesn't it, Kate? It really does. And I think it's very much the fear of the unknown. Once you actually sit down with your nurse, or at the moment, a lot of it is being done um via Zoom or whatever technology they do by video. Once you sit down and go through everything and you can see your syringes, you can see the needles, you can see the medication that you've got to draw up and you have a go with it and you can actually touch it, feel it and really get used to what it's all about. Then actually it takes a lot of that fear away, but it's definitely the fear of the unknown before that point. And I think there's a lot of, like you say, a lot of worry surrounding that. Even worry about where you're going to fit everything because it all needs to go into the fridge or most of it needs to go into the fridge. So you need to make a bit of room in the fridge. So there's quite a lot of worries surrounding that. I think the good thing is, is that you're probably not having to take anything to work for it and put it in the work fridge because you're probably still working from home. So yes, that's definitely better. But for the, those that do, that can also be a bit of a problem and, and worry about where are they going to inject? You know, do they have to inject in the toilet, which clearly isn't particularly nice to be able to have to do that. So yeah, yeah lots of anxieties. And what normally happens is you will have what's called a drugs teach at your clinic. And so what we wanted to do was just kind of talk you through what would happen with the lovely Kate police who uh, works with Kate. And I'd met Kate a good while back and she was so lovely. And then when we were talking about this particular episode, Kate, other Kate, loads of Kate, had said (laughs) that she thought that the other Kate would be the best person to do it. Tell us a bit about Kate because she's got such a lovely manner, hasn't she? She is. She's so she's so friendly and sweet and she makes me laugh. That's why I wanted to have her on my team because she makes me laugh all the time. And Kate's, you know, very, um, obviously she's been on a podcast episode talking about her fertility journey and she's very open about that. And we'll definitely put some links to um, the episode so you can have a little bit of read about um, Kate's journey, which was quite unusual. Um, so she's really got great empathy and experience from her own personal situation, but also from um, her many years and experience as a nurse working in an IVF clinic. And I think that when you hear how she talks you through, it will hopefully give you a bit more confidence. And what we kind of always try to stress is, is don't hold back from asking more questions. If you need to be told again, ask. And as Kate will explain, there are videos and stuff that come with, you know, that the different drug companies send out. So have a listen. I'm really hoping it puts your mind at rest if you're worried about this part of the IVF process. This is the point where you 
have had a conversation about what your protocol is going to to look like and then you go into the clinic to meet one of the fertility nurses to find out more about taking your injections and I'm really pleased to welcome Kate Please to the podcast again. Kate is working with Kate Davis so I'm going to refer Kate. to Kate Please as Kate P and Kate as Kate D. Um, they're working together in Kate's uh, company, Your Fertility Journey, and is also part of the Independent Fertility Nurse Group. And she works with Dr. Fertility. And Kate is a senior women's health nurse specialising in fertility and menopause and works at Bourne Hall as well, which is where we met, didn't we, Kate P? We did many moons ago. In fact, Natalie, I've just had a thought that I think we were in the very same consultation room. How did I plan that? How funny. <laughs> well, I remember you so clearly because you were so happy and we had a giggle about you always being pleased when patients bought you chocolate or cake does that sound right that's probably me <laughs> nailed to the t actually um, because the, a patient brought a lovely cake actually on friday last week and i was most upset that i wasn't at work i was i was gutted that i'd missed it <laughs> well given the fact what you sent me this morning as well when i told you i, I sent uh, kate a message saying i've got a really busy day and she sent me then a message of what was it saying kate about chocolate oh i said press the lovely button because chocolate does get you through I know I should be promoting that we should all be eating kale but I said um, amidst the chaos there is chocolate that's right and then I said to you but I'm sugar free at the moment this isn't fair oh you're not I I was sugar free for thought (laughs) I don't think I even thought about it Natalie I think I literally just (laughs) I've never been sugar free and just like no I can't do it it's too much so you just described you're in the consult room at Bourne describe where you are in Bourne Hall in Colchester I am. I work um, in Bourne Hall, Colchester and Wickford at the moment. I'm in Colchester, which is the satellite clinic. I'm in that little tiny consult room where I think you, we all sat yep. looking, at, looking out at the sunny car park. I know yeah. how to get around. <laughs> so what we really want to talk to you about, Kate, then is, as Natalie said, the questions that people might have about going through um, IVF and when they have to start injecting, because I know it puts a lot of fear of I was terrified of needles. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're not used to using needles, which, you know, most people, unless they've got, you know, odd (laughs) lifestyle or or they're working in the medical profession. (laughs) Or the diabetic. Or the diabetic, yeah. So they're not necessarily all going, going to be used to injecting themselves. So... Can you talk us through what patients need to know and and, and I guess kind of what you go through with them when you're doing an injection teach? I certainly can. It's it's a really key part, I think, of the fertility nurse's role, whichever clinic or area that you're working in, because as we know, Kate, the majority of medications, and as you know, Natalie, from administering them, most of them are actually injectable medications that need to be, you know, administered as part of a treatment plan and you're following the plan and you're following the dosages, etc. So um, I'm going to kind of divide it into two because obviously pre-COVID days, we actually um, saw patients face to face. Um, This isn't currently happening in a lot of clinics at the moment just to reduce footfall um, and risk. So at the moment, a lot of it's being done on the phone and we're using video prompts for patients. But if you were to ask me the the best way to do it, if you can, and obviously post when we're in the normal world again, is having having the patient in front of you, being able to talk through the different types of injections, how they work 
when we need to do them, what they do, um, and most importantly, talking about um, the injection techniques, um, how to draw them up or prepare them, how to give them, and also to, you've you've got if you if you've got the injections in front of you, we have um, injections that the drug companies send us that are exactly like the real thing, just not with the real drugs in them. Patients can practice because I'm sure Kate would remember this from her nurse training. It's it's a hands-on procedure. Mm. I can't just say um, it's a bit Absolutely. like learning to pass your driving test. The moment when you get in the car on on your own for the first time, you can talk about it till the cows come home. But actually, it's when you actually physically have to do it that's when you learn the most, really. So it's getting. So I remember when I was learning to inject, you know, way back when, when I started my nurse training and we used oranges. Do you use oranges or do you have more sophisticated kit? It was like a little fake bit of skin, like a pincushion that was like, I think that's what I remember That's exactly it, Natalie. So yeah, I was the same, Kate. When I did my nurse training, they handed you out an orange and a few needles and said, off you go. And you think, really? Okay. Um, But now um, the drug companies have developed some, as Natalie said, some sort of fake skin that sort of transcribes to the fatty area. So because you want to put the injection into the subcutaneous area, the layer of fat under your skin. So it kind of mimics that. And it just gets patients um, and and ladies used to how to hold the needle, how to inject it. Because, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, I just stand from afar and throw the javelin. And it's kind of not like that. You've got to get quite close up. You've got to hold it in a certain way. And you've got to have that practice and confidence when you're doing it and if people are scared of needles which I was um what's your advice I mean I in the coaching work I'm doing now I've got this little like technique that I tell people and I was quite pleased that I used it with one of the ladies that I was um working with and she told me that she was terrified of needles since she was a child and she was totally fine because I think a lot of it is overcoming it in your mind as well because they're really thin the needles aren't they they are, particularly for some of the, um, you know, there's a lot of medication that the preparation comes in like a pen, which I think is quite nice for patients because you don't have that visual representation of what you imagine it would be like, you know, big needles, big syringes, are scary. They're not. They're a bit like the, a lot of them are a bit like the pens that diabetics use. You can dial it up and the needle's very tiny and thin so that you can um, feel a little bit more comfortable, as you say. I think the first part is is spending time with, if, if you're a particular patient and, and, you know, you don't like needles, which I know a lot of us don't it's spending time with the patient explaining how it all works getting them to have a look have a practice finding out what works for them some patients will ask their partners to do them um, which we're happy to show Um, some patients um, want extra time to practice Um, I've had patients before where they've kind of practiced uh, breathing techniques and um, sort of meditation and things to help them beforehand and what you normally tend to find is the first few are, are really terrifying for them but then they get an enormous sense of accomplishment sort of a few days in when they're actually getting the hang of it yeah. because it's it's a skill in its own right it's it's really hard to inject yourself um, let alone if you've never used a medical device before or a needle and then after a few days you think hey I've got this I'm on it I can do this when I did my first injection I'd lit a certain candle I'd bought myself this robe I bought myself this lovely new kind of silky robe. I had um, this Nils Yard lovely, like, relaxing Aww. cream. I use numbing cream, which I'll ask you about what you think about that. Injected my first injection and had, like, music playing. By day three, I was in the toilet because I was hosting an event. I did it in the loo, and I was like, get me. I've got this three days in. 
And you thought, how's that changed from the dressing gown and the candle to the toilets? <laughs> but I do think having that little bit of ceremony about it, if you are nervous, yeah. help me. What do you think about that? And the numbing cream, if that's all right. I, I think. think you have to do what works for you. So I've, I've had patients before say I have a particular routine or I do it at a particular time of day when I'm, as you, and a lot of it's quite common, as you say, when I'm lying on the bed in my dressing gown or I'm in a particular room in the house, this is when it happens. Because that's the easiest way for your brain to get used to that regularity. Um, numbing cream we I don't routinely recommend because usually it's a subcutaneous injection so usually it goes into the layer of fat under your skin it's a little bit uncomfortable for a little bit um, and then usually it shouldn't be a problem but if if I'm you know I always look at things on an individual basis if patients feel they need extra support then it's something to think about but generally most ladies are I think are really really good and really you know adapt to it really really well and you mentioned there Kate about subcutaneous injection um and obviously that's under under the skin and the first little layer of fat can you can you explain to ladies where best to inject on their body absolutely I normally say to them to inject um in their tummy so imagine where your trousers sit um if you're if you're like me uh, I've just approached 40 and eaten way too much food in lockdown there's a little far muffin more, top there's a far more of a muffin top than there should be you haven't Kate <laughs> but that's the area that you want either side of your belly button um or just above your belly button so that's a it's a really easy area to get to you haven't got to get into a yoga contortion to get there you can see the site, you know where you're going. And it's really important that if you've done an injection in one area in your tummy on Monday and you're doing another one on Tuesday to rotate round so that you can give those little areas a break. You're going to get some bruising, sadly. It does happen because it's it's a side effect of the treatment. But if you rotate the sites around different areas, then you're going to give each area a little chance to have a little bit of a rest. What about if you miss the time? you meant to do it generally I would say if you miss so if you normally do your injections at seven and it's eight o'clock at night or nine or ten I would say do your injection as normal if it's if you think oh goodness me it's the next day and I've you know because it does happen we're, we're all busy and rushing and human then contact your clinic for further advice because it will depend on what stage of your treatment you're at and what injection you were due to have so this is a question about from one of our listeners about air bubbles and injecting. How much damage can you do if you're injecting an air bubble? Generally, the t- there's a little air bubble on the injection pen. It's really, really tiny. So if it if you do inject it, I, there's very minimal evidence it's going to cause any damage at all. You're not injecting into veins or the circulation. So... Um, it's really the body's really really adaptable and the amount of air potentially in a tiny bubble is so so tiny that it just to reassure ladies it's not going to cause any damage at all always make sure before you give the injection that you um, give a little bit of a tap it's just those things that the nurses will talk about at your appointment make sure that your fluid's right at the top if it's a syringe if it's a pre-filled pen it's already pre-loaded and good to go but remember if you're giving it into your tummy the um, little air bubble is very very tiny so not going to cause any significant problems and in terms of getting your partner involved um because one of the things that I did really to kind of help my hubby feel a bit more involved was when it got to having to take two injections we started doing this thing where we'd give them like names of kind of famous duos in films or cartoons so like we had Bert and Ernie and we had Fred and Wilma it's just a little kind of fun thing (laughs) have you heard any other (laughs) ideas of ways to maybe make it so it's not just you and they're not just you know feeling redundant because we know men feel quite obsolete at this point they do and you can really kind of understand it can't you because a lot of the time it is as we know centered around um the female partner you know it's all about the injections and the scans and the treatment plan um i have had patients give them names before um i've had a lot of men who were um quite excited about actually injecting their partner (laughs) 
whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And I'm always really encouraging if, if the yeah. partner wants to get involved, because as you said, Natalie, it gives them a chance to feel part of the team. It gives them the chance to take some ownership. And also it's a skill. You never know when you're going to need it either, you know, if you've done it once. You can do it again. You can do it again. As long as you know how to do it in case your partner's held up somewhere and then you're not in a blind panic because of that. Yeah, absolutely. I We normally always see the couple together if they can so that we can teach both of you. Um, and obviously with all things COVID at the moment, we're sending out, we've got some really good instruction videos that we're sending. So I think a lot of the patients like that because they've also got it on their phone forever, for every moment they need it rather than thinking, what did they nurse say? Did that happen? That's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah, really good. And just finally, Kate, if people are really, really not able to get their head around the needles, there are no sprays, aren't there? Or there used to be. There are. It depends on what drugs you're doing. Right. So, for example, the down regulation might be the one you're thinking of, Natalie. So the right. one that if you're on a long protocol, you take your down regulation first. Um, that can be either injectable or a nasal spray. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the stimulation drugs are usually injectable. Um, but there's lots of different types of stimulation drugs, whether you've got the pen or you've got the vial um, or particular different ones. And as we've said, the needles are the small, usually the smallest little needles you can imagine, which is quite good. So that's a good start. But yeah, we if depending on your protocol, we can reduce um, the amount of time on some injections. And I've also come across, I don't know whether you two have seen them, but there's a couple of... Um, organizations just very small businesses of nurses that offer home a home uh, blood testing and also home um, injections so that if women are going through IVF and they don't feel comfortable about doing themselves they can pay privately for yeah, that service. I, I've only come across that recently but mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea because potentially um, there you know for some people it's it's a horses for courses um, we're all different uh, we're all able to adapt and do different things so um, for some patients this may be the you know the reassuring light at the tunnel that they know mm -hmm. that um, you know a nurse or a health professional is going to come around do the injection it just takes the stress and the worry away they just have to know when they're in at that point and and be ready to go as such it's really good to know I do have one more question which yeah I've never talked about this on the podcast and I'm not quite sure whether I'm actually going to because it oh is the most personal goodness. part of my journey in terms of side effects Kate from your drugs what have you heard people say that they've what side effects have people had? It can vary. And again, it can very much depend on what stage of the treatment you're on. So typically, if you're taking a long protocol and you're on the down regulation drugs, um, usually the cineral nasal spray or the bucerolin, they obviously can put you into almost like a, a temporary menopause. So patients will often say they've got headaches, night sweats, difficulty in sleeping, feeling irritable. Um, those side effects, if you're on that protocol, then tend to subside um, once you start the stimulation drugs and patients start to feel a lot better. Um, but when you're on the stimulation drugs, you can often feel um, bloated. You can often um, feel fatigued. So that's quite common in the later stages. Um, and for some of the other um, treatment protocols, if you're doing, a, for instance, a cetratide protocol, um, it's really common with the cetratide injections um, that you take as part of um, down regulation in a different way. Often they can make you feel a little bit like you've got a bee sting when you put the needle in, and that's completely normal. So you, you do the injection, you think, yes, I've done it, I'm in. But then often it goes a little bit red afterwards and a little bit sore, feels a bit like a bee sting, and then it just disappears within about 20 minutes, half an hour. That's also completely normal. Um, so you've not mentioned the side effect that I have. Oh, oh dear. I'm actually quite, do I'm I, actually quite do scared. I need to be, um, honey, I'm sitting down. I'm ready. Well, the thing is, I think I might say it and I might edit it. We'll see. 
depending on your reaction. I can't remember how far I was in. I can't remember whether I was on my down regulation, but brace yourself. I'm, br- I'm bracing. Basically, seriously, because you're going to be so. Can I? Am I allowed to laugh? If you it's can funny? laugh. So I shat the bed during no. my treatment. Oh, bless you. There's no polite way of saying it. Woke oh. up in my own poo, oh. mortified, oh. phoned the clinic, and they said that that was a very rare side effect. And that's when we oh. talked about, um, you were both so nice then. I thought you'd really oh, push yourself oh. laughing. No. And I've never that, said that. That must have been distressing. Oh, my God. It was so bloody embarrassing. I've got an OCD mm. husband. Imagine his face when I pooed in the bed. Oh, my God. <laughs> And I'm sharing this out of love for you listening. If you're feeling pretty disgusted by it, it's very unlikely it will happen to you because I was waiting to see whether you mentioned it, Kate P. Um, Have you ever heard of that happening? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Um, No, good. (laughs) But... I think literally never seen but, it. But you know, you know, you know me, Natalie. I, 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 lo- I love all the uh, unusual things. Well, you know, join the club; it's fun. Yes. <laughs> Did it only happen once, then, yeah. Natalie? Or yeah. I mean, it might have been a, it might have been a dodgy curry. Coincidental. I don't think it was yeah. curry at that point, but um, it wasn't something that I've, I've never experienced that type. It wasn't yeah. like you know, it, it was full on. Oh, um, bless you. So I'm not saying that will happen to you. Um, and and in in reference to what Kate just said, we will put a link to the chat that we had with Kate in a previous podcast episode. Um, but yeah, just to reiterate, that's not a likely thing that will happen to you. But I just felt maybe I'd share a bit in this episode. Why not? You know, we've been we've been but together for quite a while now. I think it's nice to share because, as you say, there could be one person that would, may have had the same thought of you. Was it a dodgy curry? Yeah. Was it me? Did, you know, did I miss something? And it's def- it's I know it's on the on on the side effects. So and as you say, you never think it's going to happen to you. And poof. For want of a better expression. For want of a better expression. And Thank most you. importantly, I think to add is if you've got any weird and wonderful side effects, um, get in contact with your fertility nurse or your clinic yeah. because that's what we're here for. And, and you know, we, we can investigate further or, or find the answers. Yeah. And they, they were very reassuring when I phoned my clinic. Um, and, and like I say, it didn't happen again. So thank you, Kate. I think, you've, I think you talked that through um, really clearly and I think one of the other things that I took from this was I saw myself as a bit of an experiment I saw myself as a bit of a science project I mean the whole I I approached my whole fertility treatment as that um and I think if you think of it like that it's not forever this at the most we're talking what two weeks is the longest protocol you might be on yeah, I mean, it's it's not forever. I mean, yeah. if you're doing a, a down regulation um, with injections, it could be four to six weeks. If you're four not, then it could be two weeks or so. And you could even have a, I mean, a funny calendar and tick them off. And, and you know, as you go along and kind of, as you say, treat it like a bit of a project. Um, I think when you're in it, you feel like it's just going to last forever, don't you? Mm. Because it's just all consuming. But you're right. If you if you realise that the end is in sight and this is not going to be your life forever, then I think it makes it a little bit easier to deal with. And I normally find if you're doing the last scan for a patient and you're scanning them and they're ready for egg collection and you say, right, this is your last injection. So the final trigger injection that you might, that you'd take if you're having an IVF cycle and you say to the ladies, this is your last injection. Normally their eyes light up and they're so happy because they've got to the end. They've done it. Mm. They've, they've got, they've got there. Just on that trigger injection, just to explain, because that is a, time crucial injection but if for any reason it can't be what would you say because there is quite a bit of panic about that 
There is, because it is time um, matched in your treatment plan. So if you're a lady in, and you're told to take your in, um, your final um, injection, your trigger injection, you know, at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night, potentially you'd be having your egg collection 36 hours later, so around 10 o'clock on Thursday morning. Um, if you're having any problems or you're not sure, if it's just about the administration, remember if you've got your injection videos, have a little look at those. Um, remember when you, you're given the drug or at your last scan, if there's any questions and you're not sure, talk to the nurse or the doctor or the medical staff that are doing your scan. And if it comes to trigger time and there's a problem, then contact your clinic as soon as you can. Um, whether it's that the trigger's been given at the wrong time or it hasn't been given, the most important thing is to contact your clinic as soon as you can so that they can then advise you on what the yeah. next steps will be. Just don't go drive yourself mad. I'll phone your clinic and ask for help, ultimately. Yes. 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 Sound advice. Ask for help, definitely. Don't don't uh, as Natalie said, um, drive yourself mad. Ask for help, um, and they will support and advise further. Thank you, Kate. Oh, Thank it's you, lovely Kate. to talk to you both. Ask the expert. 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 How to improve morphology from one percent? Um, the lady's asking. Supplements. Diet is good, but she she and her um, partner they don't smoke or drink yeah and that goes back to not focusing too much and, and beating yourselves up about things that can't change very much and so again it's a really difficult one because if you haven't got significant lifestyle factors to change the key is finding is maybe having a urological review to see if there's any underlying reason that may explain it is there a inflammatory or an infective process is there a varicocele within the testicle that may be impacting on sperm production? But without that, there's not very much you can do to change that. But the supplement's always useful, obviously, in terms of sperm production. Okay, fantastic. And same question, really. If um, a man has a sperm count of only 1 million, can this be improved? And if so, how long does it take? Again, the key here is finding out the cause. As, you know, with a count you know, at 1 million... Um, I think it's really important to get a urological review, an examination, uh, looking for all the factors I said before, potentially doing a genetic screen because there is a small increase in the proportion of men who've got a very, very subtle genetic problem that may be affecting sperm production when the count is below 5 million. Um, and again, it may not change what we do, but it's obviously a useful piece of information. Um, Repeat the sample, I think is the first thing to say, because if you've had a significant viral infection, COVID being a perfect example, um, that, that could have you know, knocked it off. So don't rely on just the one test. Make sure you repeat it. And can COVID impact on morphology as well or just count? Oh, that's a really good question. Probably probably overall quality. So all three parameters. Mm, I, don't, yeah, I, I haven't looked at that in, in specifically, but I would imagine it could, it could affect all three. Ask the expert. 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 So I have been wondering whether to leave my big reveal in that episode, which was met with such hilarity from you, my trusted co-host. <laughs> of course, I can't believe you admitted it. Well, it's one of those things that I've never talked about. And I thought, you know, just talk about it on national podcasting. Is that of the right course. word? I don't know. On the podcast airwaves, there's never been a right time. And it was so relevant to this chat. I thought, why not? And we're old friends. And if you've heard what I've said, please know that it is very, very rare, very unlikely to happen to you. I think it's in the very small print of the side effects. And if it's really upset you, please let me know and I will re-edit 
the podcast, but I feel like, yeah, it's warts and all. I've been in a bit of a quandary as to whether to do it, but I've done it. It's there. It's out there. So, Can yeah. I confess something? Oh, gosh. Go on, then. I don't think I've told anybody this apart from my husband. I know. Shall I say it? Okay, so I'm going to say it. So when I climbed Kilimanjaro about four years ago. Is this another poo chat? Yeah. I had to, ta- I had to take um, mefloquine for um, uh, anti-mosquito, you know, whatever it is. What's it called? Anti-mosquito? You know what I mean. To avoid getting bitten. Malaria. Malaria. Thank you very much. Yes. I, I am a nurse, everybody. Just couldn't remember the name. Sorry about that. Um, and um, yeah, and one day, it, it kind of gives you a little bit of a rumbly tummy. And one day we were doing a really long walk. I think we walked for, tw- I think it was about 20 miles, but 20 miles with altitude and uphill. So you can imagine how difficult that was. It was exhausting. We walked all day, all day, all day. And just towards the very end, I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, something's happened. And I couldn't stop. There was nowhere for me to go and because actually at this point we were on a very a place where there weren't really any cover so there weren't any big boulders or trees that you could go behind so I literally had to walk the rest of the way so it's probably about another three miles thinking something's happened something's happened and then when eventually I literally we got to our camp I dropped everything dropped my, my backpack down and rushed to our little loo tents to find that it had but luckily only a very very small amount. <laughs> Oh, I'm really sorry if our tone, our uh, subject matter is not what you expected, but we feel comfortable in sharing this. Well, well done yeah. you for carrying on walking. Oh, oh, it, was horrible. it was horrible. And we've got an e- a- another step closer to one another. <laughs> we wondered over more poo stories. I just want to mention as well that um, in editing this podcast, I realised that um, the bits that you've heard of Kate and I explaining what's been going on, which I'd recorded in my other room, sounded a bit rubbish. I'm normally in this lovely uh, padded booth, but it was so hot when we were recording, I couldn't be in here. So just wanted to do that as a little caveat. Don't forget, of course, you can send your questions into Dr. James for our next catch up. You can either do it on our socials. I'm at Fertility Poddy. And I'm at Your Fertility Journey. Or you can always email info at thefertilitypodcast.co.uk. Now, we wanted to tell you about another podcast that we think you should check out. One in four pregnancies end in loss. And for those women and couples, it can be one of the most difficult experiences they've ever had. And that is why the worst girl gang ever was created. Following hosts Bex and Laura's personal experience of baby loss and an overwhelming passion to help others. So the now award-winning podcast is on a mission to support, empower and educate their community with similar experiences of baby loss. With a whole host of guests, laughs and advice, it's a community that nobody would ever choose to join, but it's jam-packed full of warriors who understand and support each other through these really, really difficult times. With that in mind, the Pathway to Recovery course has been created by and for TWGGE Warriors. It's packed full of love, support and guidance and it's available now. Now, as a member, you'll get um, this course that's built by experts. It's dispensed with the goal of improving every facet of your life after loss, from fitness to the health of your relationship and so much more. They've got you covered. Just visit theworstgirlgangever.co.uk for more info. It does sound so good. I know they've put a ton of work into it. So tune in to The Worst Girl Gang Ever anywhere that you listen to your podcasts and help them smash the taboo everywhere.
And you can get involved with their community, ask questions and follow them at the underscore worst girl gang underscore ever. So there you have it. We love to share the pod love because if you're listening to us, then I'm sure you're loving listening because it's such a good way to consume information about what we know is such a difficult topic and the girls doing an amazing job as well. Thank you as always for your support. And until the next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.